I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. Last week, we talked about experiencing rejection. You ever experience rejection? We all have, right? Think about some ways we experience rejection. Maybe it's that school you applied to, that team you went out for, that that job you applied for, maybe even that person you proposed to. We all experience rejection at one time or another, to one degree or another. And in our passage last time, we discussed how God's people wrongly rejected God and served idols. We also discussed how God rightly rejected his people and punished them for their sinfulness. So we've got right and wrong types of rejection, right? And we also discussed that God's people eventually rejected these idols and served the Lord. Well, today we're back in Judges. We're going to be in Judges chapter 10. We're going to cover a lot of real estate today, okay? So buckle in. You're ready to drink from a fire hydrant, okay? It's going to feel like that at at, at times in this service. But bear with me, Judges 10 through 12. We're going to discuss that while God provides His people with a Savior to deliver them from their enemies, they continue to reject God's plan of salvation. They reject the Savior that He sends. Does that sound familiar? and the work he promises to do. Judges chapter 10. Now I want to warn you, this story is a sad one. We've got a lot of sad stories coming in Judges. But within this sad story, we have a wonderful lesson that we learn about God. While we have and continue to reject God, he is a gracious and loving God who provides salvation for us When we do not deserve it. Amen. We've been singing about the amazing grace and the marvelous mercy of our God this morning. Our truth for the week in your study guide. You get a study guide each week, Monday through Friday, based upon the message you'll hear here this morning. You'll look in it. If you look in it in your bulletin, truth for the week is this. The God of the Bible is a God of mercy, grace, and love. This morning we will learn this lesson as we study how God responds to those who reject his saviors and his work of salvation. First point I want you to see from this story is this. Jephthah is rejected because he is an unlikely savior. Now some of you are like, who is Jephthah? 
Well, let's look and see. Judges chapter 10, picking up where we left off last week in verse 17. Then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they encamped in Gilead. And the people of Israel came together, and they encamped at Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So in Judges 10, we learn that God's people Israel have been punished for their wickedness. They're completely given over to idolatry, serving seven different idols. Seven being the number of completion, right? They're given completely over to idolatry. But when they truly turn from their sin, God shows them mercy. In verse 18, they ask, who's the man who will fight for us against our enemies? Who will save us? Let's see who it is. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. So that phrase, also bore him sons, lets you know that Jephthah is not one of Gilead's wife's boys, okay? He, like Abimelech in, in Judges 9, was an illegitimate son. The son of Gilead from a prostitute. Let you know a little bit about Gilead. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out. He's the outcast, right? And said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So they rejected him based on his own family history, right? Then, verse 3, Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. But Jephthah had his own issues, we learn here. Unlike Joseph, who was driven out by his brothers, Jephthah did not follow the Lord faithfully, but connected with the wrong crowd. We're told at the end of verse 3, often happens with outcasts, they connect up with the wrong group to find community. And that's what happens to Jephthah. Look at verse 3. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. Sounds like he's leading the crew. So again, God's people needed saving, right, from their enemies. Who does God choose and use? Not who you might expect. God chooses an unlikely outcast named Jephthah to be their Savior. A repeated theme that we see throughout Scripture is that God uses unlikely people to accomplish His purposes. Sometimes God uses the youngest, right? Think Jacob. Think Joseph. And later, David. We also see that these unlikely leaders are often rejected by God's people. Jacob was rejected by his father, Joseph by his brothers, David by his father at first. Remember, Jesse, when he thought of someone, one of his sons being considered king, he didn't even bring David into the house. Surely it's not my lowly shepherd boy, right? Jesus was rejected as well. By most all the religious leaders, a few of his disciples had their doubts at first as well. You remember what Nathaniel said about Jesus when he learned he was from Nazareth? He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The religious leaders from Jesus' hometown, after he claimed to be the Messiah in Luke's gospel, they say, is this not Joseph's son? Then they try to throw him off a of Mount Precipice. 
we see throughout Scripture that people reject the very people God sends to help them, don't they? See it happen all the time. I can honestly tell you in my 12 years of being here, more people have rejected spiritual help from the church than have accepted it. Sad. Here they reject Jephthah because of his family history. But we learn here that the rejection of Jephthah, different from Joseph and David and Jesus, was more deserved because of who Jephthah was inwardly. Now they rejected who he was outwardly, but we learn that he was a rascal inwardly as well. Let's take a closer look at this judge. Jephthah was a man of war. He was the son of a prostitute from a broken home. He's an outcast, driven out by his own family. And him being an outcast was probably one of the reasons he, he was such a tough individual, right? I mean, he had heart issues, obviously. But we're told that he attracted a band of outlaws around him. Timothy Keller in his commentary on Judges says, Jephthah was a complete outcast, a criminal from a broken home, yet God raises him up to be the Savior. God uses unlikely people for his redemptive purposes. Sometimes it's deeply flawed people. We will spend the next several weeks learning about Samson. He had a special calling on his life before birth, yet deeply flawed. He's got all kinds of issues. Just come back. While God does not excuse this behavior, while he does give us specific qualifications for a leader, he at times uses deeply flawed people for his redemptive purposes. Why does he do this? His strength made evident in weakness, right? So that we know that he is in control in the darkest and most difficult of times. When times get tough and our days get dark, do not underestimate what God can do and who he can do it through. How many of you have ever questioned God's ability to work in dark and difficult times? We've been there, right? If God can use an outcast crime boss from a broken home, he can use anybody. That's a good lesson right there, right? If he can use Jephthah, he can use you and me. Maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, God could never use me. I had a terrible home life. I had a, a, a very dark past. I have drifted too far from him. Let me let you in on something, and I know this to be true from Scripture. You're the very type of person that God delights in using. I don't know about you, but, but I'm thankful that God uses the unlikely, deeply flawed people of the world for His redemptive purposes, because that's my story. Well, let's continue with Jephthah's story. God's people, Israel, eventually changed their tune about him because the Ammonites are going to attack. And they need his military experience and power to lead them. He's a man of war, right? Look at verse 4. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. They need him now, right? Forget about his background and character. They, they needed the military might of their good old brother Jephthah. Look at verse 6. 
And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. How will he respond? Well, let's look at it. Point number two. At first, Jephthah rejected their request for him to lead them. Look at verse 7. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and, and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to you, I will be your head. Okay? When those who, who had, had rejected Jephthah asked him then to lead and fight for them, he says, what, weren't you the ones that cast me out and drove me out? Out of my father's house? Now you come to me in your time of need? He's basically saying, why should I help you when you have rejected me? He rejects him at first, and then he uses the fact that they need him to his advantage. He says in verse 9, if I lead you and the Lord gives me victory, then I'm going to rule over you from this time forward. Those are his terms. I'm not just going to lead you to victory and then go back to being an outcast. If I'm your head, I'm your head. And they say, you're our head. Verse 10. Now, let me warn you, this is a long passage, okay? We're going all the way down through verse 27. I told you at the beginning of this study, something that I want to do is I want to read every verse in the book of Judges, okay? And then I'm going to summarize. So bear with me. Try to keep up, all right? We're going to go a ways here down to verse 27. Starting in verse 10. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So they're, they're bringing the Lord into it. Lord, be witness. We're going to do as you say. Verse 11, so Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites, the Ammonites are coming against them, remember, and said, what do you have against me that you have come to me to fight against my land? And the king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah, because Israel, on coming up from Egypt, took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok and to the Jordan. Now therefore restore it peaceably. Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites, but when they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Israel then sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. And they sent also to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh, verse 18. Then they journeyed through the wilderness and went around the land of Edom and the land of Moab and arrived on the east side of the land of Moab and camped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the territory of Moab, for the Arnon was the boundary of Moab. Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. And Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land to our country. But Sihon 
did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and encamped at Jahaz and fought with Israel. Verse 21, and the Lord, the God of Israel, mark this, gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. So Israel took possession of all the land of the, of the Amorites who inhabited that country, and they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabbok, from the wilderness to the Jordan. Then the Lord, the God of Israel, dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel, and are you to take possession of them? Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And all that the Lord, our God, has dispossessed for us, we will possess. Now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever contend against Israel, or did he ever go to war with them? Verse 26, while Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages, and in Aror and its villages, and in all the cities that are on the banks of the Arnon 300 years, why did you not deliver them within that time? Therefore, I therefore have not sinned against you, and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. Okay, take a deep breath. All right. Let me summarize this quickly, okay? Brief history lesson. The Ammonites come against God's people Israel. And Jephthah, now the leader of the Israelites, he was an outcast, now he's a leader, inquires why the Ammonites are coming out to fight Israel. The reason they give goes back to a feud several centuries back when God's people were leaving Egypt for the land of promise. You know that story, right? With Moses in Exodus, right? God's people are delivered from Egyptian bondage. And the king of the Ammonites says, because Israel, on coming up from Egypt, took away my land from Arnon to the Jabbok and to the Jordan, that's the reason I'm here. I'm here to pay a debt that's long overdue. I'm here to take back my land, okay? It says, long ago, Israel took this land. We're here to take it back. Well, Jephthah, he knows his history as well. And he also knows pagan culture pretty well as well. We'll learn that more about that in a moment. But he says, while the Israelites were traveling from Egypt to the land of promise, they got stuck in a place called Kadesh. The king of Edom did not let the Israelites pass through their land, neither did the king of Moab, so they just remained there. They were stuck there in Kadesh. They finally decided to bypass those areas. They went east of Moab on the other side of Arnon. The king of the Amorites did not let them pass through their country either, and what he decides to do is come against Israel. He's going to fight the Israelites. The Lord fought for his people against them and defeated them, so Israel took possession of that land. You with me? So it now belongs to Israel, Jephthah says, not you guys. Jephthah is arguing from history here that God had given Israel this land. And he appeals to actually their pagan belief on things to strengthen his argument. You see, they believed that if a nation's God gave a nation victory over another nation, then the victorious nation had rights to the land. Jephthah knew that, okay? 
He knew this was the king's worldview as well. He was correct in his argument. Do you think the king is going to give him that? Because he's correct in his argument? That's the next point. Look at it. The king of the Ammonites rejected Jephthah and refused to consider his valid argument. Look at verse 28. But the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent him. Was Jephthah's argument sound? Did he correctly appeal to the wicked king's worldview? Was he correct in saying that the one true and living God had given them success and given them their land? Yes, across the board, right? Then what's the issue? Why is the king not responding in favor of God's people Israel after this valid argument has been given? Why is he not pulling his troops back and returning home? Because this king is wicked and corrupt. All right? Listen, I want you to get this point. It's key. This is great for us today. Corrupt and wicked people are never interested in what's right and true. But in having their own wicked way. That's the truth. Corrupt and wicked people are opposed to what's right and true, even when it's staring at them in the face, because they're corrupt and wicked. This is something very important for us to realize as believers trying to minister in a world sometimes over, over Facebook and, and Twitter, right? In a world that is set apart from, set against, opposed to God. We often think if I can make a solid case for the faith and appeal to reason and answer every question skeptics have, then they'll be accepting and convinced of the truth claims of Christianity. Very naive to think in this way. Not that we should not defend the faith. Not that we should not destroy worldviews that are opposed to truth in hopes God will bring people to the end of themselves and to the feet of Jesus. But for that to happen, hearts must be changed. The issue is a moral problem. It's not just honest skepticism. Lots of times things are masked in honest skepticism, but the issue is the heart. Scripture teaches this. It didn't matter how sound Jephthah's argument was. The king of the Ammonites would not side with God's people and in accordance with God's purposes because his heart is wicked. How do we minister to those whose hearts are hardened to the truth? Scripture is clear on this. We proclaim truth. We defend truth. We stand for what's right and true. We pray that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, changes hearts and lives, uses our words as we speak His words, giving people eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe these truths. That's how God works. That's how He uses you and me. Maybe you came in here today skeptical. Maybe you're listening online and you're, 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 you're watching this with skepticism. My prayer for you today is that God would do this work in your heart and life, bring you to the end of yourself, bring you to the feet of Jesus, that he would change you from the inside out. That's what must be done. I pray to awaken you to faith in his son Jesus, that you would respond in repentance and faith. I pray you would no longer reject the grace of God. That's what Jephthah does here. And it's very, very tragic. Let's look at this point quickly. Next point. Jephthah rejected the grace of God and made a foolish vow. Let's keep reading. Bear with me. Verses 29 through 40. We're going to do it again. Let's dive in. 
Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Aurora to the neighborhood of Mineth, 20, 20 cities, and as far as Abel, Karamim, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home, at Mizpah. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. Verse 35. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord avenge has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. Verse 38, so he said, go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of the two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. Tragic. She had never known a man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, Four days in the year. So notice what we have here. We said earlier that Jephthah was well-versed in the pagan worldviews of his enemies. And we learned here in this passage, he had been heavily influenced by that system of belief. We have seen already in Judges, God was going to graciously deliver His people, right? From their enemies, by way of Jephthah and His army. All that is needed from Jephthah is to just trust the Lord, to bring the deliverance He promised. All that is needed is for Jephthah to faithfully follow the Lord. Jephthah felt as if more needed to be done. He, he thinks he needs to offer a vow of sacrifice here as if that would please God. He wanted to lock God in and force his hand to do his will. This is what the pagans believed. They believed that through outward acts of piety and through great sacrifice, they could put their gods in their debt and force their hand. And one of the greatest Sacrifices they offered to the gods were human sacrifices. They believed this to be pleasing to God, but we learned from Scripture it's an abomination to the one true and living God. Number six on the Big Ten, do not murder. This is the kind of vow that Jephthah is making. Now some will argue, well, Jephthah 
met animal sacrifice and he just happens to encounter his daughter first before seeing an ox or a goat or ram or lamb. And that's why he sacrificed her. I don't believe that at all. One of the major issues with this argument is that if Jephthah had an animal in mind, he would have never even considered his daughter upon seeing her, right? No, he promised a human sacrifice to God when walking out of his house. He believed that would force God to act in his favor and believed that that would be pleasing to him. We see how dark the situation has become for God's people, Israel. They're looking more and more like the Canaanites and less and less like the Israelites, sadly. Folks, works of devotion performed in man's own strength do not move God one inch. You know what moves him? His love and his mercy and his grace. That's what moves God. He was going to act in their favor. Not because of their devotion to Him, but because of His commitment to them. Because of His love for them. And this act of sacrifice, it was not honoring to God, and it was not beneficial to Jephthah, but an offense to holy God. And it ruined Jephthah's family. He sacrificed his only child, a daughter, unwed, without offspring. The Jewish people at this time, they valued big families because children and grandchildren meant a continued legacy as God's people and assured them that they would also be cared for as they got older. Jephthah's foolish vow and sacrifice left him alone, childless. It ended his family and it ruined his legacy. Listen, the ways of this world are wicked. They're counter to God's ways. And while they promise pleasure and favor, they bring nothing but pain and suffering. We see it all the time. All of us have stories of this. There is nothing you can do in your own strength to earn favor with God. You must come to that understanding and you must come to the end of yourself or you will never come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Rock of ages, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. You have to come with nothing in your hands. You have to forsake your ways and cling to Jesus. That's the way you must come, or you cannot come at all. We must place our faith and trust in Him alone, Christ alone, for our salvation. While What Jephthah has done here is extremely wicked. The Lord is still gracious to Jephthah. God is a gracious and merciful God who loves us when we do not deserve it. The foolish and the murderous Jephthah and God's idolatrous people, they deserve judgment, right? Instead, they receive His deliverance. We are told that while God's people serve foreign gods and while Jephthah made this foolish vow, the Lord gave the Ammonites into their hands. He forgives repentant people. He uses flawed vessels. The God of the Bible is a God of mercy and grace and love. Yet while that's the case, some still criticize His work of deliverance. Next point. The men of Ephraim rejected Jephthah's work of deliverance. Look at Judges chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. 1 through 4. 
the men of Ephraim were called to arms. And they crossed to Zaphon and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house over you with fire. And Jephthah said to them, I and my people had a great dispute with the Ammonites, and when I called you, you did not save me from their hand. And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my hand and crossed over against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. You ever been unappreciated? Greatly under, underappreciated? Criticized for no good reason? Criticized by someone you're trying to serve? That's what Jephthah is dealing with here with the wicked Ephraimites. The Ephraimites are, are upset claiming Jephthah did not call on them to fight against the Ammonites for them to join them and do this. Jephthah responds with, I did call on you. I called on you. When they're pressing in on us, I called upon you, but you would not help. And so this, this dispute led to a fight between the men of Gilead and the men of Ephraim. Let's look at it. Verses 6 all the way down. Let's see. Let's look at uh, beginning in verse 4 down to verse 6. And the men of Gilead struck Ephraim because they said, You are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites, in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, Let me go over, the men of Gilead said to him, Are you an Ephraimite? When they said no, they said to him, Then say Shibboleth. And they said Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. They seized him and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. They must have had a different dialect, which is the reason why they tested them to see. We'll see how they pronounce this word to see if they're Ephraimites or not. And this test brought them out of hiding, and then they killed, killed him, and they killed 42,000. 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. They paid the price for rejecting God's appointed judge and standing in opposition to his work of redemption. That is what happens, by the way, when one rejects God's man and his plan of salvation. If you reject God's Savior and you reject salvation, you perish. Okay, Simple principle there. Are you laboring alongside God's faithful laborers in ministry and taking part in his great work of redemption, or are you standing in opposition to it? Last point, while God's people rejected his appointed deliverers and God's enemies rejected his people and God's leaders rejected his grace, final point, God continued to send deliverers to save his people. Think about where God's people, Israel, are spiritually at this point. They have strayed from God, right? Their, their leaders are treating God like an idol who can be forced to accomplish their will. They're standing in opposition to God. They're standing in opposition to His chosen deliverers. They're refusing to take part in God's work of redemption. They're fighting with one another instead of faithfully laboring together. Yet what does God do? God continues to send them saviors. You see that? Amazing grace. The book of Judges is a book of grace. You're blind if you don't see it. 
clear when you study it. First he sent Jephthah. Look at verse 7. Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in his city in Gilead. After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters he gave in marriage outside his clan, and 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried at Bethlehem. After him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel, and he judged Israel ten years. Then Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried at Ahijalon in the land of Zebulun. After him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons. He rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. Some of those details are funny, aren't they? Verse 15, then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathonite, died, and he was buried at Parathon in the land of Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. In these verses, we see once again a change in the structure, in, in, in the narrative in Judges. There are several notable omissions from this passage. One, notice there's no mention of a foreign enemy here. You see that? You know why? Because the enemy is within. These judges are sent to save Israel from themselves. Same is true for us. God has sent us a perfect Savior to save us from ourselves. Amen? That's why we're here. That's the joy in our hearts. That's the, the song that we, we sing. God's people needed God to send a Savior to save them from themselves. Timothy Keller again in his commentary on Judges. Look at this quote. God's people ultimately need a leader who will rescue them from themselves. They need it, so do we. Notice another omission. While God continues to send judges to His people, we're not told that they're crying out for it. Normally we're told that, right? There doesn't seem to be any confession of sin here, no expression of a need for salvation, yet God continues to send saviors. Reminds me of Romans 5.8. God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were still sinners, He sent Christ to die for us. God has not changed. Timothy Keller again says this. Look at this quote. We're almost done. This is the sheer grace of God. The people have completely abandoned Him. They have sunk to the depths and they're not even crying out in repentance, yet God sends them judge saviors they are not asking for. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? I am because His judgment is coming. When it comes, the only hope of escape will be the rescue that God has provided for us from sin and death through faith alone in His Son, Jesus, alone. It's the only way. Are you ready for that day of judgment that is coming? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? We have said before that God's mercy, it endures forever, but it doesn't endure for everyone forever. It will end. His judgment is coming. I urge you to be ready today. Ready yourself today by turning from your sin. Give your life up and over to Jesus today and be saved. Let's pray together.